Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Other Job Podcast, a place where we explore all the tasks that are required for building high-performance teams, but we never seem to have enough time to do or to do well. We started this podcast to share our learnings from being there and doing that for those who want to go there and do that, and to hear from voices from the industry to share their experience. Today, we're joined by Rebecca Fighton. She recently made the transition from top-performing seller at a number of companies, and by top-performing, I mean the number one seller, uh, to leading sales teams. Uh, Rebecca, welcome. Excited to be here. Hey, Rebecca, thanks for joining us. Um, look, uh, we, we so we worked together when you made this transition, um, which was awesome. And I just want to kind of double click on Jeff's point about the number one seller. You were like the number one seller at a very, very success in a very, very successful sales organization. Um, so no small feat. And you did it like years in a row. So let's just bask in the glory one more time. I mean, honestly, we've made a thing of basking in Rebecca's glory for years and years now. Uh, so we're going to just continue that theme. Um, but, but then, you know, you, you were thrust into leadership at a really interesting time. The economy was maybe not showing signs of great health. Um, you know, we're coming out of a pandemic. Things are very different, um, with, with team members, et cetera. Um, what was, I'm curious, like the big question I have, I've had for you all along is what was like the big gap that you saw? So you go from top performing individual contributor to a leader of generally high performing people. You probably have perceptions when you're an individual contributor, what are the types of coaching and leadership I want? And then thrust into leadership. What was the, what was the, the big gap there? Yeah, I think, <laughs> Like what matters? Um, Because you, it's, everything is a buzzword, right? So people are like, lead from the front, like be data-driven, forecast accurately, coach your team, like know those deals, like they're your deals. Um, You gotta escalate and navigate stakeholders internally, like what's your pipeline coverage? (laughs) And so it's like, how, how do you, like what matters? Like how do you prioritize your time? I think as a seller, like it's really clear right? Like, are the things that you're doing driving deals forward to go and create revenue? And as a leader, you sort of like get dumped in the deep end and people start chucking things at you and you're like, which ones do I need to catch and which ones do I not? Well, and and I think, I mean, the big thing I've seen in the industry is, um, let's be honest. So I, I come from a school of like frontline leadership is probably the hardest job in any company. No, no offense to executives out like it's hard and it's doubly hard because we don't actually teach anybody how to do it. Generally speaking. I mean, I think in my career, I've worked at a bunch of different companies. Uh, that's not necessarily a good thing, by the way, but um, I've worked at a bunch of different companies. I think I've only been trained about trained in one of them, how to be a leader. And so you said like be data driven, lead from the front, blah, blah, blah. Did, did anybody teach you how to do any of those things or were they just saying do these things? No, I don't think there was like a lot of double clicking on what it meant. Yeah. Okay. So that kind of confirms my hypothesis. Like it's a hard job to begin with. It's doubly hard when somebody says, go do these five things, but we don't, we don't teach people how to do them. Yeah. And I think as well, if you've got a reputation in a business, so like I made that transition after, you know, being in the business very early on. So the assumption was that I'd figure it out. 
And so I don't know if that served me more or less to some degree, because I think that everyone was kind of like, you'll get it. Like, don't worry. You figured everything else out. <laughs> and you're like, huh. <laughs> this feels different. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess the next, the, the, the second question I have for you is I, I want to go back to my original question and ask a slightly different flavor of it, which is you, you, I would imagine as a, as a seller, um, there were types of leadership and coaching that you were craving were the demands of the day-to-day frontline leadership job, were they so great that you kind of quickly got immersed in those things? Or were you able to protect your time and do the types of coaching and leadership that you had been craving as a as a as an individual contributor? That's the whole point of the podcast, right? That's why we call it the other job, is because we all get sucked into like operating and don't have time to do the development that we all craved in our previous role. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in every role I've ever had, and I've been lucky to work for organizations that invest in RevTech, and we've got like forecasting solutions and all this, but we still do everything in spreadsheets. Like everything is an offline activity. Why? Don't understand it. But um, <clears throat> I think that the the answer is early on, no. Like because you're so lost, I feel like the reaction, at least for me, was like, okay, I'm going to go talk to a ton of people and like crowdsource how successful leaders here are being successful and then try to like pick the things that I think make sense. But you end up sort of like chasing your tail, I think, until you get to the point where you have to make a decision, right? You like realize the juice isn't worth the squeeze of doing, of being like, um, you know, a mile wide and an inch deep on all of these activities. Like I got to decide what matters. Well, and Rebecca, when we were talking about this topic earlier, right, the transition to leadership is never clean either, right? I jokingly was like, oh, the two job period of your career where <laughs> you still had, uh, you still had deals to close, right? You went from seller to sales leader. So you still had deals to close. And so how much of your ramping and being able to serve your team was impacted by the organization's desire for you to continue to drive revenue personally? I mean, I think it it's, it's like also the three job thing because not only did I have to, did I have to have a $2 million Q4 and coach the team, but then I had to backfill me and like that, I think is even is just as much pressure as everything else when you know that person is going to take the book of business that you built that the that the organization is like hey we rely on the success of these accounts um so yeah no it's impossible to do all those things well yeah i guess you bring up a good point like you know, you're you're an individual contributor. You're highly productive in a territory. You backfill into that territory, and the the the, the productivity in the territory tanks. That, that would that would kind of look bad, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't want to gloss over that. Like that's a really. I was like, huh, that's a really good point. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. And um, you've never hired, so like yeah, you've never hired before, right? You're doing two really important jobs that you've never done before, and no one's telling you how to do it. <laughs> So how did you wade through? How did you start making decisions about what was important and what you let drop? Like how, like, 
was it, did you look towards your team? Did you look towards other leaders? Was it just like your internal set of beliefs? Like what, one of the goals with this conversation is for people in this situation, like I work with a lot of folks who say my career goal is to get into management. So like, how did you start figuring out what to, honestly, what to ignore? I can't remember if we are or aren't allowed to swear on this podcast. You can. The FCC. You can. Jeff, Jeff and I are not allowed to as the host, but you, you're yeah. bring it. Yeah. All right. So not to kiss Chris's ass, but one of the things about working for Chris that I always found really motivating was that Chris was definitively a people first leader, which meant that like he, for me, had this level of um, followship where like I would run through walls if he asked me to. And I think I realized that like that actually was way more important than a lot of the other shit. Like the role is ironically just as much about selling as a frontline selling role because you've got to go build trust with the team because if you can't affect change and you can't impact their behavior, and you can't drive the outcomes that you need. Um, so that became sort of one of the things that I decided was most important. And maybe like some of the other asks I decided were things that I would maybe potentially manage up around. <laughs> so, so let's, I want to double click on that just a little bit, um, in terms of, uh, you now are in charge of or leading a team of what used to be the week prior, your peers. How do you build that trust? How do you, like, do you have it intrinsically because you just nailed your number all the time? And they're like, yeah, she absolutely knows what she's doing. Or was that, was that hard? Honestly, the transition wasn't as hard for me as it may be for other people. Only in that, like those I think that those peers had respect for me as a seller. So then there was this, okay, like, well, if you're going to tell us how to go make a million dollars a year, like we're all ears. <laughs> right. Let, let me, can I chime in there? Just because I was uh, close to the process, so to speak. <laughs> yep. So um, the advantage of having been the number one rep in the company for like four or five years um is that the trust was, and I'm not saying that Rebecca didn't go increase the level of trust, right? Like, like Rebecca definitely had a, a, a mentality of like, nobody's coming to save me, including Chris, by the way. Um, so I'm gonna go figure out what matters and how to be people first. And I wanna give her credit for that. Um, but the advantage of, uh, of being put into leadership after being number one rep in the company for many years in a row is that that like people will naturally say most salespeople when they join a company and, and Jeff, I'd like to comment on like other go-to-market functions like SCEs and marketing, but most salespeople when they join a company, the first phone call they make is to last year's number one rep. And the question is, how did you do it? And they just try and mimic that behavior. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Like that's a good approach. Like that'd be a good approach. Right. And so if you if you say, hey, Rebecca, you're that person that everybody keeps calling. We want you to lead this team like there's a huge advantage there, um, much more so like it increases exponentially each year. The person was the top performing person prior. Right. If you take a one year top performer and, and put them in a leadership role, 
uh, I think there's some trust. There, there's there'll be people that are willing to say like, okay, I can pick up some tactics here. But if you take a five-year top performer, huge benefit. And that's what that's what Rebecca stepped into um, because of her hard work. So at least from my like, I, I work in marketing now a decade as an SC and an SC leader. Uh, we do some of that. Right. Um, we're going to have another topic on this podcast about being a change agent. And so um, that's actually the next one we're recording. And um, in like SC land and in marketing land, sometimes you're brought in to change the status quo. And so that initial conversation is just to understand what you, what you need to change. Um, so it's just a little bit different outside of the sales organization. Um, and a lot of times, at least in, in marketing, you get brought in because things are broken. And so you don't like over index on what was done before you've got an opportunity to change things. So um, in sales, there's of course the, the process and the tactics and all of those things that are transferable for someone it is working for. Um, I just don't know if it's as clean in other, in other departments to, to answer your question. Yeah. So uh, pretty, go ahead. Yeah, Rebecca, so a quick follow-up kind of on that, on that topic, right? Like one of the conversations that, you know, gets gets had a lot in organizations and it's happening a lot now because of the change in the economy and other macro conditions is this concept of what got us to where we are today won't get us to where we need to go in the future. And that implies, you know, I'm piggybacking off of the change agent conversation that, that we're going to have on a future episode. But um, no, no doubt you, you stepped into a world where you saw it, as good as the team was, ample opportunity for change, improvement, some of the things you had been doing, but also maybe some things that you said, hey, I needed to go build this skill and capability and do it in the future. Um, what was what was the, like, after you've built the trust, what were some of the challenges and what worked for you in terms of helping people start to embrace the change that, that needed to be driven in the organization? Yeah, I think one of the things that, ironically, you said it to me when I moved into the role, and at the time I rolled my eyes and was probably like, okay, yeah, whatever. Um, but now I'm like, oh, that was maybe the most important piece of advice um, was like, at some point you have to give yourself time to actually be thoughtful. Like, I think that my first six months, even probably to a year, frontline managing the team, I spent in deals being like, here's what we should go and do, do, go do next. Like, I know what we should go do next. What I learned is like to scale impact, you've got to understand like where are the broader themes around gaps and how can we go and solve them? And what process changes can we make? Like, how do we think about broader coaching? Um because otherwise you're still just the hero, even if you're not taking the credit, right? Like you're still just in there directing. <laughs> and so I think that, you know, for me, that was the, that was one of the biggest takeaways was like to scale impact, like you've got to be able to diagnose macro risk and understand how you can go impact change at a broader level beyond just rep on rep deal and deal. Yeah. Uh, on a, 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 other than how much harder it is to, to make money, what, what's been like the biggest surprise for you in leadership? 
Um, I mean, honestly, the biggest initial surprise to me was that not everyone thinks the way that I think. <laughs> like, why? Why are you not doing that? Like, <laughs> and it took me like a year to be like, okay, so this thing seems obvious to me, but it's obviously not obvious to them. Otherwise, they'd be doing it. <laughs> so, like, I need to ask why, right? Instead of just jumping to the answer. Um, and I'm not like, I'm still not a huge proponent of like, look, like we got to lead the horse to water, but like not for an hour. Like if you're, if you're not getting it, I'm going to start to drop some key hints because we got to move. <laughs> it's a balance. We don't live in a mandate world, right? Anymore. I mean, it no. used to be a commanding, like, like I think, you know, I mean, look, my dad used to lead sales organizations back, you know, you guys probably are going to say I am still in the dark ages. So stop. But my dad left sales organizations back in the day when, like, you know, like they would mail letters to people. Okay. And in that day, sales was a little bit more, maybe even much more, even in the tech industry, which was new at the time, much more of a command and control model. We don't, we don't live in that world. Right. And so that, okay, I've brought the horse to water. Now, how do I get the final, the final step is, it's challenging. It's, it's really hard. Well, and I think it's really interesting as a as a leader as well, right? You you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink while you're drowning them, right? Um, it's like which which one are they going to pick, right? Um, and but at the same time, like some of the best ideas on how to go scale a new process or solve a customer problem comes from not dictating to the team, right? Like your team has good ideas. If you're any decent at hiring, you hired really smart people. And right. Jobs was like the worst thing you can do is hire really small, smart people and tell them how to solve problems. Um, and so like, it's this balance, right? Which is there's, and I have this unique perspective is I've, I've been an SC to over a hundred sellers throughout my career. And the weirdest thing about sales is that there's a hundred ways to be successful. Like, the, the number of people that have been successful and are such wildly different people and different processes it still is like, blows my mind. Like how in the world was that person successful? Because they're so much different than this other successful person um, that I worked with. And so um, it's a really tough balance, which is like, how do you go affect change? How do you get people to change their behavior when in fact they might have a good, a, a good idea or a good way of doing it that just isn't yours as the leaders. And that's a, that is a tough and a humbling exercise, at least it's been in my experience. You know, Jeff, it reminds me of a joke, a former colleague of mine and I have, which is sales is like the last uh, function or department or job where your boss can tell you to do something. You can literally say no and do it some other way or do something else entirely. And not only can you still have your job, you might actually be the number one sale seller in the company. Like, think about like that that disconnect or that dichotomy, yep. and that 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 I think highlights probably like the crux, in my opinion, of why frontline leadership in sales is so so hard. It's because we promote somebody like Rebecca, who we know is incredibly talented and skilled we shoulder her with a pretty big quota number. And then we say, hey, by the way, your team, they're actually kind of allowed to go do whatever they want to do. Even if you don't think it's going to get you to your number. Good luck. 
right? Like that's pretty challenging. So that that tees up Rebecca, I think what'll end up being sort of the 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 question that we'll end on that I think you can share with our audience uh, the most wisdom, at least from you, right? The earning potential of a sales manager is much, has a much lower ceiling than that of an individual contributor. You've now changed companies from where this transition from IC to sales leader happened and you picked sales leadership again. I think that's the role you're in right now. Um, why? I think because what I loved about selling, I still love about leading, which is like, you're still solving problems. You're just solving bigger problems in an organization. And like, you're still building relationships, right? Like those internal relationships and the trust that you build with your team, I think is, is probably more important than the trust you build with a prospect in one deal. The, the other thing is, you know, like, I, I don't know how many, I don't know how many uh, opportunities Rebecca's won in her selling career, but it's a lot. And it's a lot of dollars. I do know that. Um, new challenges are super rewarding. And in my opinion, look, whether it's you're coaching sellers or you're coaching Little League Baseball, um, watching someone improve and, and having helped just a little bit, because let's be honest, like our impact on people is, we want it to be big, but but oftentimes it's not. We, but because of, you know, at least for me, like shortcomings um, in my capabilities. And so when I can just look back and say, I helped one person incrementally improve and it had this leverage in their life or on this company or on their customers, right? Because let's, I mean, we are actually trying to help our customers at, at points in the process here. So um, like that is just, it's it's why, I, you know, like my son is a baseball coach. You guys been coaching baseball for 40 years uh, and we're all sitting there going like, why? And I guarantee you it's because of the fulfillment he gets from the, the impact he has on these kids. And um, I, I mean, I, Rebecca, knowing you personally, like there's got to be a component of that for you as well that that is even more rewarding than the W-2s and the big commission checks and the President's Club plaques. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's, you know, the the goal for me is if I can just help the people who want to be helped a little bit more um, so that, you know, like all these skills don't ex like sales is unique and all the skills that you need to be good at this job apply to everything else in your life. Like how to have, how to have empathy, how to listen actively, like yeah. <laughs> how to frame things like all of this matters in everything that you do. So it's not just work. Well, and Rebecca, so I've done a ton of research on, not and not by the way, not just in sales or business, but just like what makes great coaches. And you just hit like the number one thing that all of the research says has to exist. I mean, yes, of course you have to have expert subject matter expertise, blah, 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 blah. Number one thing is, does the coach like actually care about the outcome for the person? Everything else is secondary to that. And um, so 
A, thanks for joining us. B, more importantly, thanks for caring um, and, and taking care for doing what you're doing. Um, really appreciate your time today. It's fun. It was fun. Thanks, Rebecca. We'll talk to you soon.